Well, I want to welcome you, those who are attending here at our 9.30 service. I want to welcome those who are in our cafe service, and I also want to welcome today uh, those who are in the well. Uh, Pastor Shea is out this weekend. Uh, he is celebrating his wife Lindsay's 30th birthday. They're on a trip uh, to New York, and uh, some of you may follow uh, Shea or Lindsay on uh, Facebook, and uh, if you don't, I wanted you to just have a sense of how much uh, Shay was enjoying New York, and so Lindsay shared this picture that I want to I want to share with you that I think just captures the <laughs> the joy. Uh, I don't even know if he's seen that picture, but I am so so grateful to be able to share it with you today. Uh, today we are uh, I'm going to be sharing two things with you. I'm sharing the final message uh, of our series, uh, what the Bible doesn't say. More specifically, what the things that we say that the Bible doesn't say. Uh, and at the end of uh, our message today, I'm going to share with you an update on the uh, building campaign that we uh, started last fall, uh, give you a, a sense of where we are and uh, where we are going with that. Uh, but if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open that to Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you in all of our worship spaces, we have uh, blue Bibles available for you. You'll, you can find Romans 8 uh, on page 1754. If you are using one of our second grade Bibles, you will find it on page 1114. Uh, so those are all the ways that you can find our passage for today. And uh, as you find that, I want to connect us back to the message that I shared with you uh, last week. And I'll tell you specifically why. Every message that I share with you, uh, it begins with me writing it out word for word, everything I'm going to share with you. And I didn't always do that, uh, but what I learned along the way is that if I took the time to do that, I not only knew exactly what I wanted to say, I knew exactly how long it would take me to say it. You're welcome, by the way. Uh, so in the process of that, what sometimes happens is you find yourself uh, working on a message that you realize you're trying to make into one that really needs to be two. And so today is really the rest of last week's message. We talked about the phrase, everything happens for a reason, and we looked at this uh, verse of Scripture from Romans 8, verse 28. We know that in all things God, God works for the good of those uh, who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. The idea that some uh, would say that this verse, out of this verse, they, they would bring this phrase, everything happens for a reason. We talked about this phrase as a, as a foundation of Christian hope, but one that Christians uh, interpret differently. Uh, we, the idea that that phrase, everything happens for a reason, uh, can convey to others uh, a, a couple of assumptions. Uh, the first, that God is somehow orchestrating all things according to what God desires, that our lives are predetermined, and that in a sense, our challenge is simply to figure out what it all means why things happen the way that they do, why things happen in our life the way that they do. And I shared with you two reasons why I don't believe that. Uh, the first being that I, I think there's things that happen every single day in, the, in our world, I see it, you see it, that have nothing to do with what God would will or what God would want. Uh, and then if that is true, then, then, then what we are unintentionally doing is placing responsibility on God for things that God had nothing to do with. Uh, and so instead, I believe that God gives us three gifts. God gives us the gift of life, God gives us the gift of love, and God gives us the gift of choice. At the heart of every single one of our choices is how we choose to respond to those first two gifts, the gift of life and the gift of love. And no gift of God is more generous or more courageous than the gift of choice because in giving us that gift, God gives us the chance to do the very thing that would break God's heart. And that's what we often do. 
And so sometimes the only reason that something happens in our world is because someone made a terrible choice. And we landed at this idea that at the height of our hurt, God still works for our good. Now, you may have left last week and you may have thought to yourself, well, but that doesn't cover everything. That's not every situation. Not everything is just because of someone's choice. There, there should be more to this message, and that's why I'm glad you're here this week, because there is. That's what, that's what today is, which is not, uh, we're not looking at a particular phrase that we say, but we're looking at those moments in life where we don't know what to say. There are no words. Uh, there, there's no way for us to express or even understand what, what is happening in our life or in the life of another. And And so the other thing that we talked about with this idea of everything happens for a reason, what was attractive about it is is because we want the world to make sense, we want the world to be fair, but also we want the world as it once was. And the world as it once was, the good old days, if you will, wasn't the days of 1982 or 1952, but the days of Genesis chapter 2. Because in Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. And it changes because of humanity's sin. And what happened in Genesis 3, according to what we read there, is that sin fractured our relationship with God. That's what we often think about primarily, but it also fractured all of creation. That that, that our sin, it not only affects our direct personal relationship with God, again, that's often our focus, but that sin echoes out from our life. And you've experienced this in your own life as, as, as your own sin has, uh, has affected, damaged uh, lives of others, or you have felt the effects of that from someone else's decision in their life. And that same thing happens in Genesis chapter 3. As the relationship between God and humanity is, is, is fractured, so there is a fracture in all creation. And here's the reason why. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, Uh, Here's what it says about who we are. In verse 27, the verse that precedes this, uh, it is where God creates humanity. Uh, God creates humanity in God's own image, male and female. uh, God created them, verse 27 says. And then you get to verse 28, and this is the commission that God gives to humanity. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, in the very beginning... In the good old days, humanity was given a unique role among all of creation. And our role was to serve as God's representative on God's behalf to steward, to to care for the world that God had made, that all throughout Genesis chapter 1, God describes as a world that is good. Our original role was to preserve and maintain the goodness of all creation. But the break, the fracture in the relationship between humanity and God also undermined humanity's ability to fulfill this role. And creation, creation uh, experienced a fracture as a result of that. So I want you to hold that in your head as as you see how Paul picks up this theme. We're going to begin reading in verse 18 of Romans 8. We're going to finish at where we were last week, verse 28. But again, listen to how Paul carries this theme forward about what has happened in creation. He says that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So I want to invite you to think about it this way. I'm going to invite you to think about uh, that, uh, consider you might have a friend who is going away for a long time. And they come to you and, and they say, I'm going to be gone. I don't know how long it's going to be, but while I'm away, uh, will you look after my house? And you say, absolutely, I'd be happy to do that. And, and they, they, they go away. And somewhere over the course of time, uh, you have a falling out with your friend. Uh, words are shared, feelings are heard, anger grows. And as a result, you decide to yourself, I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do. Uh, they don't seem to care about me. I'm not going to care about their house. I'm just going to leave it, and, and they'll, they'll have whatever they have when they get back. And many months, or maybe even many years later, the owner returns. And what does the owner find? The owner finds that the grass hasn't been cut. The lawn hasn't been watered. The, uh, the house is filled. Every nook and cranny is, is covered with dust. They open the door, and all that they are greeted by is the musty smell of space that has gone so long without fresh air. The pipes don't work. The water doesn't run. The heating and air unit is shot because they, it hasn't been maintained and cared for. The, the windows won't even open because there's so much grime that's built up over the course of time. That's the picture of what has happened in all creation. Because the stewards of God's good world have been unable to fulfill the role that we have been called to fulfill, creation has fallen into disrepair, which is why in verse 19 Paul says, creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed for those who will come to fulfill the original calling of those who will be stewards of God's new world. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we e eagerly uh, uh, wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So creation is groaning. Creation is groaning because of the, uh, the brokenness that it has experienced. But notice that this groaning Paul describes as groaning as in the pains of childbirth, which for some of you just remind you of a very real experience in your life. It is, it is a groaning that doesn't come from simply pain. It is a groaning that is also filled with expectation that something good will come, that restoration will come, that, that, that creation will experience a, a, a redemption by what God will do, by the coming of the children of God. And this groaning that is happening all around us Paul says that we ourselves join in that chorus. We who he describes as those who have received the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, those who've said yes to Jesus, who according to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, have been made alive in Christ, are nevertheless living in a world that is not yet the fully restored and fully redeemed world that God will one day bring to pass. 
there is something that has started within us that is nevertheless incomplete. There is a work of restoration that has started in the world around us that is nevertheless incomplete. And in the tension of the in-between time in which we are all living, individually and creation itself, there is this groaning. There's this groaning, this, this longing for, for a full restoration, for a world to be rebuilt in its fullness again. And, and then we find verse 26. In the same way, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, which if you're someone who underlines in your Bible, you should underline that phrase. We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So let me see if I can connect some dots for you. Creation is groaning because it has fallen in disrepair. Uh, Our sin not only severs and and breaks our relationship with God, but it, it creates a fracture in all of creation. And as creation groans, so do we. Because as we live our lives, we experience uh, moments, we see things happening in the lives of others that, that are moments of incredible pain and brokenness that, uh, that represent a world that is not as it should be, not as God originally designed it to be. We have moments in our life where, uh, whether it's something we are experiencing or in the life of someone else, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to respond. We, we, we search for a word of encouragement, a word that will somehow provide a sense of hope, and we find ourselves coming up empty. And in those moments, we don't even know how to pray. And you may think to yourself, well, what kind of faith is this that I don't even know what to pray in a moment like this? But this is what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, when we do not know how to pray... When all we have is wordless groans, in other words, there is something that happens. In other words, our groans may be wordless, but they are not meaningless. Because when that's all we have, when all we have is the cry of our souls for a world to be set right again, for our lives to be fully restored and fully redeemed, when all we have is the question why, those wordless groans through the work of the Spirit, are brought before the throne of God. God hears and God knows every bit of our pain and our suffering and our need because the Spirit brings from us what is wordless to God and translates that into our prayers. The prayers that we don't even know how to pray. The things that we don't even know how to say, those are what the Spirit brings before God. So while we may not have the words to say, the words to pray, it doesn't mean that that moment is meaningless or, or, or that we have nothing to offer because, again, the Spirit works. The Spirit brings those before God. God knows, God hears, God enters into that pain. And then you get to the icing on the cake, the cherry on top, verse 28, which we looked at last week. And we know in those moments when we don't know what to pray for, 
when all we have is wordless groans, when, when all we have is the question why for ourselves or for another, or we hear that question for another, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. At the height of our hurt, again, we believe that God is continually working for our good. So there's a word that we use, there's a phrase that we use. We call them natural disasters. And, and really nothing could be further from the truth. The more precise way to refer to those, those things that happen in our world would be to re refer to them as unnatural disasters because they are expressions of a creation that has been fractured, of a world that has fallen into disrepair. There are times where it feels like every single day we hear about another who has been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness, someone else who's going through cancer or some other uh, disease, and, and we or others find ourselves asking, why, why is this happening? We sometimes think, why, why is it that those whose light shines the brightest, why is it that those are the ones that we lose too soon? And, and we find ourselves coming up empty. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't understand. I, I, can't, I can't comprehend this. Again, all expressions of a world that is not as it should be, a world that is broken, lives that are broken, a world, a creation in all of us that groans, cries out to be fully restored by the God who originally made the world as good and seeks to set it right again. The world asks why, and all we have is I don't know. And part of what I want you to hear is I don't know is that's okay. When I don't know is also joined with the willingness to sit and to hold a hand and to simply be present in those moments when others would run away to do for another what we believe God does for us in those darkest moments of our life. At the height of our hurt, God is still working for our good. In the height of the hurt of another, God uses us in the way that we surround and care for those who find themselves in that place of great need. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer any explanation for why among my two uncles, who are also twin brothers, why one of their lives was cut short by cancer and the other one is just fine. I don't have an answer for that, and I don't believe that there is a reason for that beyond that we live in a world that is not as it should be, a world that has fallen into disrepair, but yet the promise of faith is this, that God hears the groans within, the groaning of broken hearts and the groaning of a broken world. Next week, we're going to start a new series called Rooted, and in that series, we're going to be looking at uh, the 18th century movement that historians refer to as the Great Awakening, a revival of faith. Uh, specifically at the lives of John and Charles Wesley, whose uh, work created a movement that came to be known as the Methodists. 
Uh, So it's a glance back into our history, into our past, and if you have this fear that your pastor loves history a little bit more than you do and he's just going to bore you to tears, just know I'm aware of that disconnect, okay? And the purpose is not just to look at our past and to learn some history, but to understand where we come from, and from that to have an understanding of where where God would call us to go. But there is one detail from the life of John Wesley that I want to share with you as we conclude this message and as we we conclude this series that I think speaks well to to what we've looked at today. It's actually the reflections uh, from a woman named Betsy Ritchie who was Wesley's housekeeper in the final years of his life. As Wesley um, was on his deathbed, he was of course uh, uh, surrounded by family and friends and In his final moments, uh, Mrs. Ritchie wrote in her diary recording these memories of of what happened in those uh, final moments of Wesley's life. She wrote, "Some uh, some of those who were most used to hearing our dear father's dying voice would have been able to interpret his meaning, but though he strove to speak, we were still unsuccessful. Finding we could not understand what he said, he paused a little And then with all the remaining strength he had, he cried out, the best of all is, God is with us. And then as if to assert the faithfulness of our promise-keeping Jehovah and comfort the hearts of his weeping friends, lifting up his dying arm in token of victory and raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph, he again repeated the heart-reviving words, the best of all is, God is with us. Let us pray. Loving God, we confess to you that there are moments in life when we do not know what to say. We, We assume, Lord, that somebody else would have the words that we don't, and maybe, Lord, we even walk away from those experiences feel like maybe, feeling like we've let you down because we didn't say that thing that we thought another needed to hear. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you give to, to know that we don't, know, we don't need to know what to say and we don't even know, need to know what, what we ought to pray for that even in those moments where in our own life or in the lives of others, all we have is the cry of our souls. You hear us, you know us, and you enter in to the pain and suffering of a world that is not as it should be. And as you have given that gift to us and you continue to do so, we pray, Lord, that you would guide your church and each of us individually to be for others what you have been for us, ones who, who make a choice not to hide or run away, but ones who make the choice to enter in, to sit with, to hold, to grieve with, to be present as you are in our own pain. We thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit, By your Spirit, Lord, we can do this work, and that you have given us the honor of participating in the ongoing work for good that you were doing 
in our broken lives and in our broken world. And all these things we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.